The death of a young man is a tragedy, but the deaths of 620,000 young men becomes a statistic. How can a museum restore the life to the story of those who died in the Civil War? We'll find out when we talk with the Executive Director of the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia, John C. Rum, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Hi, Tom Bodette from Motel 6 with a word for business travelers. Seems business has its own language these days, full of buzzwords like buzzword or net-net. And after a day spent whiteboarding a matrix of action items and deliverables, it's nice to know you can always outsource your accommodation needs to the nearest Motel 6. You'll get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price, net-net, of any national chain, plus data ports and free local calls in case you tabled your discussion and need to reconvene offline. So you can think of Motel 6 as your total business travel solution provider, vis-a-vis cost-effective lodging alternatives for Q1 through Q4, I think. Just call 1-800-4-MOTEL-6 or visit motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll maintain the lighting device in its current state of illumination for you. Motel 6 and a core hotel. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with John C. Rum, the Executive Director of the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia. Uh, John, I hesitated when I said the name of the organization because in looking at your uh, museum's website, uh, cwurmuseum.org, and uh, looking over our correspondence over the last few weeks, there seem to be two or three or four different names for the place. Um, and it, it, what's the, at, at one time, for example, it's the Civil War and Underground Railroad Museum of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're still doing business under that name. <clears throat> We've the organization's had an interesting history, to, to say the least. Um, when we were talking about earlier, we got up to the 1920s. Yeah. Uh, you've got your own building now. Yeah. Uh, what happened next? Well, it, it was operated primarily for the benefit of Malas members as a private uh, institution, um, and it stayed that way for a number of years, really up until about the bicentennial in 1976, when the decision was made to... Uh, to open up the uh, the doors, as as it were, and and let the public see the collections for the first time. Um, at that point, it was known as the Civil War Library and Museum. Uh, fell on some hard times. Came very close to going under in uh, 1999, 2000, and uh, through a series of incidents, was reorganized in 2002 and. Uh, took the name, the Civil War and Underground Railroad Museum of Philadelphia, uh, largely to acknowledge the root cause of the war being slavery and also to underscore the importance that Philadelphia had, not only in terms of the Civil War, but also in terms of the Underground Railroad, the, the struggle for freedom, if you will, the, uh, the efforts made not simply on the military field, 
to bring about freedom, but the contributions made by thousands of enslaved Americans to seek freedom uh, at great risk to themselves in terms of escaping from enslavement and also with the uh, the assistance of others who uh, who enabled them or, or helped them along their way. Uh, and so we wanted to acknowledge the, uh, again, the contributions, the heroism, the dedication that uh, enslaved Africans, enslaved African Americans made in struggling to reach freedom and the, the assistance that they received from both free blacks and white abolitionists in Philadelphia and elsewhere. Now, did this mean a change of focus? Did the museum have anything in its collection that would help tell that story? It, it, yes, it, it meant a change in focus in the sense that we were looking to uh, to really tell a story. I, I think, in the way, the museum as it existed up until uh, recently uh, was a collection of artifacts um, more than a, a museum. It... it it has wonderful things to display, and it has always had wonderful things to display, but it really didn't present a coherent story. And, um, and one of the challenges in a, uh, a museum is to figure out what, what is the story here. And we, early on when I came on board, uh, decided that the struggle for freedom was the story. And um, the Underground Railroad... Can I interrupt you yeah. here? Just while we're, because that that's I think a very important thing that I want to hear about fully how, what the story is. But uh, you mentioned you have wonderful things there. Let's talk a little bit about what what the museum has. Well, let me. I was just to finish my thought. I mean, that's yeah. one of the paradoxes because we have these wonderful things. A lot of which were, uh, as I said, donated by Civil War veterans. Uh, battlefield relics, for example, the uh, you know, soldiers. And, and officers alike would go back to a battlefield sometimes immediately after the event, sometimes many years later, and they would collect um, artifacts, relics relating to their experiences there. They might pick up bullets or um, uh, a piece of a tree trunk that had a, a mini ball embedded in it, and they would hold on to that so they could show their friends, their family, look, I was there. But it's very hard to imagine a a person who escaped enslavement wanting to go back to the plantation to find uh, mementos that would uh, would speak to the physical uh, pain of of slavery. So we have very little. You know, slaves escaped with uh, essentially their dignity and not much else. So there is not much for the Underground Railroad in terms of physical remains, and we have to rely on living history to tell that story for the most part. I guess, and that, that's always going to be the problem. We had uh, had uh, Ferguson Bordewick on the show not too yes. long ago. Uh, a good friend of ours. Uh, his excellent book uh, mm-hmm. about the Underground Railroad. Bound for Canaan. Bound for Canaan, thank you. And, and the problem is, of course, it, it's inherently a secret organization. And the, the, it doesn't have a public archive somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no physical uh, record of it. There, the records at the time were kept as minimal as possible to avoid being caught. Uh, it was a, a decentralized sort of thing. Yeah. So any museum yeah. will have the same problem. Uh, do you work much with the the museum in Cincinnati, the Underground Railroad Center there? We we, we do. Uh, Spencer Crew, the director, is somebody I knew at the Smithsonian. I consider him a good colleague. Uh, we have, uh, within the last uh, year and a half, 
formed a, uh, a very close relationship with them and that we have become their uh, lender of first resort, if you will, for Civil War artifacts for their, uh, their permanent display on the Underground Railroad and the, the broader history of African Americans. Um, they, they came to us, said uh, we want to find uh, some examples of uniforms and so forth, and we uh, we loaned them about three dozen artifacts, which are on display in Cincinnati, and look forward to continuing to uh, uh, benefit from that relationship with them. We we don't have much, uh, but it, but it's interesting to me what we did have very early on in the uh, the museum's history, and I'm talking now in the 1870s before the museum itself was actually formally created, somebody had the foresight to donate a first edition of William Still's book, The Underground Railroad. Uh, it shows to me that at least some Mollusk members understood that, again, abolitionism, anti-slavery were very much part of the, the, um, the story of the Civil War and integral to telling that story. And so we're, we're very proud to have that first edition of Still's book, and we've mined it and, and made use of it to develop living history performances based on the accounts of individuals whose, uh, whose stories are recounted in the pages of that book. Now, in terms of the, the Civil War, in contrast to the Underground Railroad, you do have a fair mm-hmm. amount of stuff from... Uh, from lots of stuff. Lots lot, and lots of stuff. A we, very fair amount. Looking at your website, uh, one's attention cannot help but be drawn uh, to the uh, the severed head of old Baldy. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> One attention cannot uh, uh, be diverted too much from that either. Uh, you know, we we love old Baldy. He he occupies a central place in the museum, and he's very dear to everybody's hearts. But uh, as more than one person has commented. When I came on board, they brought in the back end of the horse. Now that they've got the front end, <laughs> so. Uh, but he, but he's there. Uh, you know, he's in what we call the Meade Room, which is to honor uh, to honor General George Gordon Meade, the uh, hero of the Battle of, Gettysf- of Gettysburg. Um, and we've made use of Old Baldy in terms of developing um, things for children. We have what we call Old Baldy's Discovery Dresser, where kids can try on reproduction Civil War uniforms. So we love Old Baldy, but I think it's important to, um, to in a sense, shift the focus away from Old Baldy and talk about the the people who are the real um, um, heroes of our story, the real centerpieces of our story. And so much of what we have is um, uh, directly from Civil War veterans, uh, from them or from, from their descendants. What makes us, certainly what, it doesn't make us unique, but what I think is a very strong drawing point for us is that with so much of what we've got, roughly 80% of what we have, we can identify the specific individual who used, made, preserved, acquired, whatever the artifact, and can use that identification to create stories about specific individuals. And I think that at base is the the new vision that we have for this museum. The the story that we want to create is to focus on the experiences that individuals had during the Civil War and the Underground Railroad. Uh, Not start from the the top down and take kind of a global perspective, but really start at the lowest level from the bottom up and focus on uh, specific real people and their real things and the stories that flow out of those and hopefully then um, be able to help visitors um, come to empathize with these people as real individuals. Uh, 
Well, let, let me push on that idea a little, because I think that that certainly fits in a trend with what a lot of museums are trying to do, uh, uh, trying to find new paradigms for telling their, their stories. But I think there, there may be dangers in it. Uh, to give an example, I not long ago took a group of students here at East Carolina to the North Carolina Museum of History uh, in Raleigh, the, the State Historical Museum. And that museum has a number of uh, changing exhibits, uh, a few permanent exhibits, the State Sports Hall of Fame and, and uh, a few others. And I have to say, each time I've taken students there, we've come away, I've come away and they've come away, with a, a certain dissatisfaction that it tells a lot of small stories, a lot of specific stories, maybe about... Uh, photographs of mountaineers in the Western Carolina mountains, or health practices, or uh, <clears throat> Indian uh, powwow traditions, but nowhere uh, in the entire museum, for example, is there much mention of the Civil War or the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. big picture is not there. Perhaps assuming everyone who goes there already knows it, but for carpetbaggers like me coming to North Carolina. We don't know the history of the state, and we go to the State History Museum, and we come away still not knowing the history of the state. You're going to have visitors who aren't going to know um, a lot about the Civil War when they come in. Uh, I should say our listeners probably know that Old Baldy was General Meade's horse. I don't think either of us ever actually said that. Um, We've got an audience listening today who who know a lot about the Mm -hmm, war. They mm -hmm. won't be listening. But you're going to get the visitor coming in who not only doesn't know who Old Baldy was, doesn't know who Meade was, and probably doesn't know much about Gettysburg. Oh, absolutely. How, how in fact, we, we get visitors like that, and I talk to them, and uh, uh, we, we have the gamut. We have people who know absolutely every detail, it seems, about the, the war, and then we've got people who really know very little about it. And um, I think the challenge for us, and I would say for any Civil War museum, is to find... It's not the best term, but it really is the lowest common denominator. What's the the the, um, the essential nugget that you want to leave people with? And um, for me, as a historian generally, what has fascinated me is is uh, how how when history is taught, it tends to emphasize dates and events and uh, uh, facts and figures, but but it really tends to de-emphasize the fact that we are the agents of history, all of us, and every day through what we do. The, the Carl Degler's famous article years and years ago, Every Man, a Historian, is very true. We, we are the agents of history. We are the, all of us as individuals through what we do in our day-to-day existence. And I think to, um, <clears throat> to underscore that for people, that uh, the people who lived through the Civil War didn't know from one day to the next what was going to happen. It's easy for us to look back in hindsight, it, and it all seems to have a very logical path, the way it unfolded and the way the, the plans of battle evolved and the way the campaigns evolved and how Lincoln's strategy changed and so forth. The reality was they were making this up as they went along, uh, both at the national level and at the very local level. And I think focusing on the very lowest level of society, individuals and families, and how individuals looked at the larger picture through what was happening in their personal lives, to me that's a very rich, very complex story, and one that's very immediate because we can relate to that story on a very human level, whether we know anything about the Civil War or not. 
you know, there there are certain certainly analogies between the experiences that people from all walks of life had during the Civil War and what we see today with the war in Iraq, with people having loved ones in the Persian Gulf or in Korea or elsewhere around the world and wondering about what what is happening to them, going through the pain of separation, going through the, the feeling of loss, the feelings of hope, the feelings of pride. Uh, all those things are very human. They transcend history because they're so deeply embedded in what we are. I would like to think that we would have a Civil War museum that would appeal to people because they come and learn, first and foremost, what it is to be human, and then learn uh, in kind of a case study how we as humans experienced the most tragic conflict in our nation's history. Uh, I, I, want, um, I want to think that, uh, <clears throat> that we can create bonds of empathy so that people today can really identify with specific individuals and come to, to understand, maybe not uh, like them, because we don't want to uh, gloss over the failings and the, uh, the, the bad things that people did, but really to understand these, these people from 150 years ago as flesh and blood, uh, people who are every bit as alive as we are and every bit as uh, complicated to figure out as we are today. And, and I suppose by doing it, by focusing at that level, you can recreate for the visitor some of the contingency, the, the, the unknown. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about in uh, a memo that just went around yesterday. One of my colleagues in the department here uh, was was thrilled to report his son, uh, an officer, uh, had just returned to the United States from a tour in Iraq and was safe, and we were all uh, so happy for him. If you tell the story of Abraham Lincoln, pretty much everyone knows how it's going to end. Absolutely. When you tell the story of a particular soldier from the Civil War, uh, even uh, students of the war who may know a lot certainly don't know about all two million individuals who fought or the other uh, you know, 60 million, uh, uh, 50, 60 million in the country. So you've got uh, that, that moment where you don't know how the story is going to end. It, it was very contingent, as you said, and, and I think that's part of the excitement, the drama of it, to, to convey that to people, that this was five years of uh, so much uncertainty from one day to the next, and it was a very complicated affair, and uh, as is as we know from our own circumstance today, there's there's no easy answers with Iraq, just as there were no easy answers with the Civil War. Indeed. Uh, we will take another short break now. We'll come back and talk more with John C. Rum, director of the Civil War Museum of Philadelphia, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 